Load testing measures performance of a system undergoing a large volume of requests. Before an application is pushed to production, engineers will often load test their software to ensure it is resilient in the face of high traffic. As web applications have changed, the requirements around load testing have changed as well. External APIs, internal undocumented APIs, and proprietary databases are black boxes that you may not be able to test reliably with unit tests or integration tests. Having an end-to-end load testing system can provide a measure of insurance against unknown unknowns before users start engaging with a production version of the application. Mark Gilbert works on performance engineering at Apica, and he joins the show to discuss how load testing software is built and when engineers should use it. Full disclosure, Apica is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. Mark Gilbert is a performance engineer with Apica. Mark, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeffrey. Today we're going to be talking about load testing. What is load testing? Uh, Load testing is uh, putting an application through load and stress to test its performance um, and its readiness for the market. And load testing is meant to test different aspects of system performance. System performance can be a somewhat subjective term. What are the qualities of a system that contribute to its overall performance? Um, So there are various aspects. There's the application layer, the database layer, uh, the networking layer, and then how all those components kind of fit together. Um, When we look at uh, the performance of those under load, uh, we're looking at CPU utilization, uh, you know, time to the database if available, um, and then overall response times from the client side. And how do we test those different types of performance? Because if we're trying to test these different layers, these different areas of performance, I imagine there are different types of load tests we would want to run for those different aspects. Right. There there are quite uh, you know a variety of different load tests you could provide. Um, what you know we mainly focus on is the HTTP aspect. So what the client. Uh, or the end user experiences. So we come in with a synthetic uh, transaction that takes the user from A to B, um, and that in turn has trigger points and uh, you know trigger mechanisms that then reach internally within the application behind the application layer. Um, but then everything's also reliant on the network. So we're constantly analyzing the network. And then, you know, those trigger points would trigger those back-end systems. Calls would come from the database backwards and forwards. Uh, Data would be processed and then returned to the end user. So this is basically a a top-down approach is is, uh, for for the HTTP because, you know, any... Any, almost every client request is going to be through just HTTP request. And so you want to simulate the load, the high load of lots of users or, um, you know, maybe a lower number of users with a high, um, uh, high volume of requests. Um, so, so what, um, what are some of the reasons why... So when we're load testing, we're doing this to simulate high load events that might occur on a system. What are some of the reasons why load can spike on a system 
for legitimate reasons when you're not actually just doing a test? Uh, well, in the common age of you know uh, 2017, I think uh, one of the biggest impacts um, to a, or, or causes of a spike uh, is you know obviously social media, uh, but then you start looking at you know other forms of advertising. Uh, when something goes out and you become popular and people start coming into your site, uh, you know those those would cause high high load events. Uh, additionally, in the e-commerce environment, um, we have very clearly defined you know periods during the year where you expect spike. Um, uh, for example, uh, Valentine's Day, which is just around the corner, uh, Mother's Day, um, and then obviously you know Black Friday, um, and then probably Christmas uh, after that, or the holidays. Yeah, I remember I I worked at Amazon for a while and prior to black friday we would do, we would do some pretty big load testing yeah it gets pretty nutty at, at at the black friday period you know we we get a lot a lot of tests that come up at that time uh both on readiness and then uh you know capacity planning that sort of thing are there so when somebody's testing for readiness versus capacity planning are those different types of tests or you're just saying these are different incentives that people or people different reasons people have for running a load test uh they would be different incentives um but they can also customize how the load tests are uh operated so um you know what are the the key indicators or the the um you know the success points um which need to be clearly defined before the load test and that's really what we focus in on you know, if a customer says, can we do X thousand users, we'll test up to that and beyond to find, you know, the breaking point, but also to say, yes, your site can do your expected load, etc. Is there, can you give us more color on like different load testing strategies? Because if you have an online game, for example, your load test might be different than if you're running an e-commerce website or if you're running a travel app. How how would a load test differ in these different contexts? Uh, so the easiest uh, way that a load test differs in those is the journey that the user takes. Um, so we record a user journey doing exactly the same steps as a real user does. We, we are real users. We record it as a real user um, in a browser. So if it's playing a game... We go through the motions of clicking around, adding, you know, buying gems or, you know, uh, working through the game mechanics, which then records all those requests. But then when we go to e-commerce, uh, we're more of a traditional shopper. You know, you hit the home page, go to a product listing page, product detail page, perhaps you add to cart. So um, and then go through checkout or you might log in in that process as well. So we we capture the entire journey and then we can turn certain things on and off within that journey. So, you know, if it's a, you know, a certain percentage that goes through adding to cart and then a certain percentage that converts into actually finalizing a purchase, uh, we can then add some business logic to that to turn those things on and off. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the ultimate difference between any, any you know, application or, or uh, platform that we're testing against is what does the script do? So that that's interesting. So you're talking about the different scripts that people have. And if I'm testing Candy Crush or some similar game, then I would write a script to programmatically 
have it crush some candy and then spin up a thousand or ten thousand fake users to run a test of that script is that what you're saying basically that is correct and to what to what degree does so if you're the candy crushing company do you are you monitoring like the latency of a of a uh I mean, what, what, I guess, I, well, I guess it's totally up to, to what the company wants to monitor in order to, for what they're getting out of the load test. Yeah, um, you know, primarily what we would want to see is, you know, system performance, so perfmon stats, you know, what's the CPU doing, how's the memory behaving, um, you know, I.O., etc. on the hardware layer. Uh, but then, you know, on the application layer, if it's available, you know, how many requests are being made to the database, are those reads and writes, what's the parallelization, if available. Um, and then, you know, response time and network latency, that sort of thing. We cover that automatically through, you know, running the load test. Um, so those are readily available. But everything behind the application uh, is sort of down to the client to define, you know, how they're going to monitor that. Um, in other cases, uh, you know, some customers don't have, um, you know, extensive monitoring in place. So we do have some agents that can be deployed, which will return those basic Perfmon stats to us, uh, along with a mechanism to send custom uh, metrics in as well. Um, the more data that's available during a load test, though, the better. So the more measurement endpoints we have, the longer it runs, the more accurate the result is going to be. When load spikes in my application, why can't I just dynamically add machines? Why do I need to test for this scenario? Don't I have auto-scaling groups and elastic load balancers that handle all of these high-load situations? Why do I need to test for this in 2017? It's, uh, you know, I think it's down to readiness. Um, while you can have all these great tools, if you don't test them when it does actually come to crunch time, uh, you know, there's certain factors involved in order scaling that do need to be considered. A, what do the images need to look like? Do they need to be put into a ready state? So do they need to install more um, packages and do any updates? Do they need to make connections to the database? Uh, and then with databases, there's only a finite collection, uh, uh, connection number that you can make to the database. Um, and if the database isn't scalable in itself, uh, you'll very soon run out of connections to that and then everything will start failing. Um, and then finally, you know, when it comes to spinning up those images, what is the, the spin up time related to that? Yeah, if it's a few seconds, you know, fantastic. Your system should run really, really well. Uh, but if it's several minutes, then that needs to be accommodated through additional user queues or some other mitigations uh, to handle that delay. Yeah, that answers my question. So we've been talking about load testing in the abstract. I kind of want to un understand load testing in practice. If I am an application developer and I'm developing an application, I'm ready to deploy it, where in my workflow do I test the application? Do I load test the application? I mean, I know there's plenty of debates around when you should have automated unit tests or integration tests. Load testing, I feel, is less discussed. Is there a place in the application development workflow where load testing tends to fit? 
Uh, in experience, the the best, well, the the most common place where it does appear is once the application has been built, it's now ready to be deployed. They deploy it, and they want to make sure that it's ready. Um, ideally, though, load testing would happen whenever you do your uh, unit testing and integration testing, uh, and it would become part of your continuous integration workflow. Uh, that would be ideal world scenario. Um, but, you know, in when budgets are overlooked and, you know, load testing is somewhat overlooked at times, um, you know, ideally, you know, at the bare minimum, you would always want to load test uh, before any major launch or before and after any major system change. You're adding new new layers to the to the system. You've changed, you know, the underlying programming language or, you know, a database or something like that. You've added new nodes. Um, you know, those would be best to test, you know, once those changes have happened and then also before so that you can then compare the results and make sure that you did, in fact, get that uh, performance increase you were hoping on. The continuous deployment angle sounds compelling. What's the advantage of doing load testing over canarying? Or I guess I guess you could do load testing before canarying. So canarying is where you might release, if you have a new version of your application, you release it to 1% of your population or 5% of your population. You let it bake for a while and make sure that, that nobody's having errors, um, which is somewhat similar to a load test in a sense, right? So what what's the difference between canarying and load testing? Well, canarying relies on your end users coming in, you know, in their patterns that they do. Um, load testing, you know, provides that stopgap when you don't know when to count, when to count on your on your end users. Um, but secondly, would you want to subject your end users to you know uh, something that's potentially performance degradating, uh, where you know at that point, if if a page is taking too long because it's a new version, you know you 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 tend to have a, a bounce rate at that point. You know users will drop off and and go somewhere else. Um, so load testing helps you you know to test and make sure that it's going to perform really really well. And then once you've tested it and you know that there is no severe degradation in the user's experience, then introduce your canary testing because then you can see the effectiveness of those design changes or that workflow change, uh, which then comes down to sort of user preference um, and then, you know, analyzing their, their behavior from that. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And especially everybody is setting up continuous deployment these days. If it's as easy as just creating a stage in your continuous deployment pipeline, mm -hmm. you might as well have load testing, I guess. Absolutely. And it doesn't need to be, you know, hugely stressful, um, you know, just as, as long as you're adhering to, you know, the same methodology throughout. So if you start with, you know, 50 virtual users, you know, keep on running that each time you deploy code. And any deviation from the previous test, you know, whether it's a degradation or an improvement in performance, you know, should help guide you and, and you know, uh, reassure you that you're on the right track or, you know, give you a cue that you need to go and reevaluate something because you might have a hashing function that's gone into an endless loop or something like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So 
you know, you you you've got all these layers of applications today: network layer, virtualization layer, containers. And if you if I'm an application developer, I don't I don't know how to finagle all these layers, perhaps. Or basically, the root of my question is: What kind of observability do you need throughout these layers in order to get the most mileage out of your load test when you actually run the load test? You know, what are the observability places that you need in order to make this of value? Right. So that could be like system stats, but then also looking at the stats from the load test, which tell us time spent, you know, um, and then per on a per step basis. You mentioned something earlier about an agent that, that so, you know, if, if you're using an Apica load test, then you have an agent that you deploy to, is it you deploy it to the host that you're testing? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So it's a, what does it, that do? Uh, so we have Linux and uh, Windows agents. They simple Perfmon stat agents that run periodically uh, during the load test. And what they do is they send back those Perfmon stats to our system. We collate those and then we, we present them in near real time along with when you're historically reviewing, you know, a, re- uh, a set of results, um, so a previous load test that it ran, you can then pull those Perfmon stats onto your graphs to see, you know, what the system was doing at that time. Uh, in an ideal world, you would have those Perfmon stats readily available, but you would also have other counters and other sort of uh, metric collectors which look at, you know, uh, what pages a user is on, what journey he's taken through, um, and then sort of, you know, your own view of carts per minute, that sort of thing. We also get those based on the page breaks that we have in our script. We do break it down into the actions performed. Um, so it's very easy to then review the results and say, okay, users are coming through on the third step. We see some slowdown. Uh, you know, the throughput isn't as great as we were getting on other pages. Um, and that could be a result of, you know, high, high performance, uh, high data bit, uh, database uh, access and load or, you know, problems with, with the code um, or potentially even configuration issues with the stack itself. When load testing exposes the, the a problem in an application, What's the typical debugging process for fixing that problem? Are there and are there any typical problems that are exposed during a load test? Uh, yeah. So um, some problems that can certainly arise: uh, geographic location, um, network layer. So uh, perhaps there's um, a load balancer or elastic load balancer that's in place in front of the application stack. There may be some configuration issues with that. Um, And then when you start looking at the application itself, uh, even certain versions of web servers may have, you know, performance issues. They might have been deployed with a memory leak. Um, So it's helpful to know at the the onset of a load test what all those uh, system... Uh, layers look like and what versions are running um, and what flavor of servers are running. Um, And then while the load test runs, um, you know, other problems that can come up, perhaps it's, you know, uh, 
a, a large query that's going to a database, perhaps it's not being cached correctly. Um, so load helps to exaggerate uh, those bottlenecks. And once we've exaggerated them, we can then, you know, really analyze that, that uh, area of the script to then, you know, really find, uh, sort of get an educated answer as to whether it is the network layer or the application layer, or if it's, uh, you know, if it's not visible to us, potentially there's some other layer in the background. So we work the we work the client through, you know, what that process is actually doing to then fine tune or hone in uh, on on what those problems may be. You mentioned geographic differences. So if I load test an application with a bunch of requests coming from North America, right. Is is that the same? Or what what is different if I have a load test with requests coming from another place like Australia or China? Why are these things different? Uh, it all comes down to the networking routes uh, and and latency. So um, you know, a an electronic signal can only travel so fast down the wires. If there's a lot of hops involved in that, perhaps it's really really far away. It's having to come through. A, a series of networks, um, all of that will delay that call and and increase the the user wait time and and time to even just make the request. Um, so it's important to you know if you're hosting uh, you know in North America and your and your major target audience is North America, you know test from North America. But if you are a global entity um, and you have very, you know, multiple concerns in different countries, um, you want to get as close to those users as possible to see what the overall impact would be. Um, it also then relates into, you know, um, kind of like a a DDoS environment where um, you're doing a you know super slow requests to an application though once those requests have been made and the connections have been opened if the traffic is really really slow going backwards and forwards that can have a detrimental impact on your on your application which is similar to a DDoS um, so, you know, a slow Loris attack um, really, you know, uh, takes advantage of those sort of, um, uh, what's the word, um, handicaps that a, that, a, uh, that a system could have. Um, so, you know, you've got to test from those locations. And then if you find that there is an issue from one location, that helps you to hone in on who that network provider might be. Perhaps you need to move your data center uh, or your services, etc. I want to talk about the requirements for building load testing software because this is what you work on. What are those requirements for building load testing software? Uh, I think essentially is you know repeating the end user's behavior as identical as possible. Um, tests need to be as scientific as you can get them. You need to you need to count on. Uh, your results from morning to night, uh, week in, week out. Um, additionally, um, monitoring is essential. You know, how long does it take to establish a network connection? Uh, and with that establishment comes the three-way handshake. Uh, so, you know, you've got to monitor everything as well. Look at the, the, the specific millisecond timings on when a request was made, when it was received, and then calculate the overall time on that. Um, additionally, validation. 
so you know, are you getting the right status codes that you that you expect from your application? Are you getting the right MIME types, and are you getting the right content coming back? Um, so you need to test for all those things as well. You need to validate the content that's coming back along with the responses. Any deviation from that could you know could highlight an issue within the application, um, or it's in a high stress environment. Uh, applications start to act very, very weird when they when they get super hot, and um, you know the requests sort of belt blend into each other. Um, systems just start failing, and then instead of getting a two hundred response code with a nice error code printed out on the screen, you're getting a five hundred one standard error, and there's no explanation as to where the problem you know came from. Uh, so validation is super important, and then finally data handling. So you know we we live in the age of big data. Um, systems are designed differently based on what data comes in, or they design to handle caches differently. Perhaps it's a sharded database. Um, so a variety of data to use in the load test, which then dynamicizes the load test script, uh, is also you know of great benefit. Something interesting you said was the necessity of understanding that your test works properly in without well, properly mimics user behavior. It sounds like sort of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle where by observing something, you are um, you're, you have a less reliable insight into how it actually works. Uh, maybe you can tell me if that's accurate. I'm just wondering what are the um, what kinds of adjustments do you have to make or how does that how do you have to write code? How does your code? end up being different because you have to be so sensitive to accurately mimicking user behavior. Well, to, you know, to get a hundred percent replication of what your users can do or do do, I think that that's quite a tall order. So you need to uh, generalize what users would generally do as, as well as, you know, um, perhaps the makeup of your application is designed to take them through a workflow as well. Um, so, you know, the chances of them getting, you know, 53 layers into the application, you know, to some call that that's really obscure, you know, there's, there's, there's had to be a, a process to get to that. Um, so, you know, those are the types of user journeys while it's, you know, while it's not a hundred percent accurate or a, a complete representation of what users do, you want to try and get it as close to that as possible. Um, so, you know, think times can help us vary that as well. You know, some users are power users. Some users have used your application a huge amount of times and they, you know, they could navigate through the application blindfolded. Um, so they just blaze through and they, you know, they hardly wait for a page to load and they've already clicked the next link. But other users, you know, um, may, you know, take their time and they want to absorb and digest what they're looking at. Uh, perhaps they're not so familiar with the application, it's quite complex, and they need to read each step or each, you know, link that's provided. Um, so while we have, you know, a, a generalized workflow for those users, we can then vary up how they do it and how fast they do it, which can also have a tremendous impact on your application. 
um, you know, a three-second think time as opposed to a zero-second think time can cause way more than just a 3x fold, you know, increase on load. Um, so, you know, quite a few things to consider. <laughs> Do you use cloud providers or are your tests or your test scripts running on um, on servers that you own? Uh, we have a combination of both. We have both uh, our own metal in co-located data centers, um, as well as utilization of cloud providers. And how do you use those different resources? First, it, 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 it comes down to scale. If we really need to go up into, you know, X million concurrent users, uh, obviously our, you know, when you start looking at companies' infrastructures, you know, that, that, that's, that can be quite a constraining uh, uh, factor. Um, as well as budget, etc. So, you know, it'd be very, very expensive to have, you know, our own metal in a lot of data centers to give us, you know, extreme amounts of load. So when load goes up and above our capacities, we would leverage uh, cloud providers. Uh, additionally, you know, some user, uh, some uh, customers may specifically require those locations um, so they may have something on the East Coast, but they want to specifically test it from the West Coast um, because that's one of the routes they use uh, for internal uh, network. Then, you know, perhaps that's when we would leverage a specific cloud provider. Um, but for the most part, you know, um, general sort of load tests, um, you know, several thousand users here and there, um, those we tend to leverage our own metal for. Um but, you know, Metal and, and Cloud are, are all becoming the same sort of thing these days. Um, cloud providers are also providing much more reliable hardware or virtual instances. And so it's becoming, you know, um, more cost effective, I think, in the grand scheme of things to, to utilize cloud when needed. We had a pretty interesting show a while ago about the risks of going deep into a cloud uh, infrastructure, potentials of cloud lock-in, and the guest was advocating, um, you know, host basically, you know, uh, co-located data center stuff. And you can even hire people to do the to manage your co-located data center. And um, he was arguing that it's not that hard. Um, I mean, to some degree, he was a little biased because he's a guy who has started a networking company in the past, so he understands like these things a little the better than I think the average right. the average AWS user. But yeah, give me some more color on your your position about cloud versus on premise these days. Well, I think uh, you know the big gorilla that's in the room with cloud is bad neighbor syndrome. Um, if you're on a, a virtual, uh, you know, you're on a, on a specific server that contains multiple VMs and you're one of those VMs, uh, there is potential for other VMs or other customers to overutilize their VM, which then can have a detrimental impact on your application. Um, so that is, that is something that is still kind of out there, um, 
you know, it's it's still something that's being addressed by the market. Um, I think things are improving as time goes on, but you know, there's still a way to go. Uh, but that I think that's the biggest risk factor. Um, and then obviously, you know, you start looking at uh, depreciation, uh, you know, cost value, etc. Um, I think ultimately, if you had a big blank checkbook. And uh, or, you know, the ability and the access to getting uh, easy uh, on-prem hosting, then, you know, that's ultimately the best way forward. Um, But, you know, there are various factors involved there, you know, A being, you know, finance um, or the cost of that. Uh, B, you know, how do you manage that? Uh, they're now your your own dedicated servers. Uh, you know how do you get servers restarted? Perhaps you have a technician that's on site that that goes and pushes buttons for you when needed. Um, but there's a lot of logistics involved. You know, in both. Um, I just think you know for convenience sake, uh, cloud and also convenience and cost uh, to a certain degree, um, cloud certainly fills in some of those gaps. To get back to the question of how you build load testing software, what language do you write the tests in? Uh, us specifically, we use Java. So we have a Java-based tool um, with its own GUI, and we record with that. And then we can generate uh, additional Java from that, which then becomes the instruction code for the load test itself. I know there are a ton of APM solutions out there. This is this application performance monitoring market that, um, as I've been doing the show, reporting on. You know, I go to conferences. Sometimes I see uh, you know thirty APM companies in uh, a, a given room. Um, how important is it to build integrations for these different monitoring products? Because I imagine if you are the load testing tool that. Um, a company is using, they need to be able to uh, monitor with whatever tool set they have. So what's the integration story? So integrations can take a while uh, to implement. Um, They can be challenging, but, you know, I think uh, the choice of which APMs to, to support comes down to uh, what we found, uh, you know, with our customers and what seems to be the most popular. Um, but the importance of, I think it's, you know, uh, at, at a top level question basis, uh, I think it's really important to incorporate uh, uh, integrations if you can. Um, the more data, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, the more data points and measurements that you have during a load test, uh, the better educated uh, answers you can come up with, and you know you, you're armed with real, real facts and real world facts of the result of what happened during your load test. And the more facts that you have available, uh, the more uh, you know, with uh, the more you can answer your questions with confidence. Yes, we absolutely know that it is a database issue because of X, Y, and Z. In our APM solution, we can see these calls going from this application to the to the database, but you know the read stream is slower, so the you know parallelization is off, or something like that. Um, or perhaps there's a specific query that runs in the background in an automated process, which is getting the management information team you know some nice metrics and graphs and stuff, but because of the uh, 
the reach that that script has uh, into the database and the extreme data that it does uh, consume to aggregate and present results, um, you know, may have a cyclical uh, detrimental impact on the application as well. So, you know, the more information you have, the better. How do you test the load testing software itself? That's a good question. Uh, it it comes down to uh, a lot of QA. So you know we've got very smart developers that work on the application. They do their own lo- uh, testing, um, but then uh, we also have a QA team. But uh, load testing the load testing software. Uh, <laughs> that's um, I, I, I'm pretty sure they have scripts. And- I, I, may, I may have misspoken. I was just <laughs> I meant to just ask about testing the load testing software. Right. Um, load. I mean, I guess load test. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that question. But um, I mean, I guess this gets back to when you need to scale. Yes. You probably want to make sure you can scale into AWS comfortably. If you like, if because I guess it's funny because like you have Black Friday and then you have the pre Black Friday load testing, which is probably a load test on your software <laughs> right right yeah so i mean we do go through the process there's a lot of peer review as well um you know we've got uh, quite a large professional services uh department in uh you know both our major locations and uh you know that that peer review is uh, you know these are these are the engineers that are on the front line with the customers they are the consultants running the tests so any um, you know, uh, misbehavior from the load testing software is very quickly identified and then addressed. Uh, but there is also a very la- uh, extensive sort of vetting process in, you know, alpha and beta environments. And, uh, you know, the latest code is put there f- and, and put through through its tests. Um, we have a lot of reliance on the software as well, apart from just load testing. So we also use it in our monitoring platform. And so there's a lot of um, ways that it can be used. And if it's not performing correctly, those those systems would fail very, very quickly. Um, so I, I think it's a good uh, testing strategy that we have. Um, I'm just not sure on the specific nitty gritties from the development team. <laughs> Fair enough. Can you tell me tell me something about building load testing software that you know you were surprised to discover uh, since starting to work on it? How do you mean by load testing software in this case? Okay, so so um, you know I find that whatever application I'm building, there's always something that comes out of the project that surprises me. So I'm just Always curious about what when somebody spe- you know specializes in a specific software domain. I'm always curious, like what is the thing that you can learn about building software from building load testing software that you probably wouldn't learn in any other context. That is an interesting question. Um, I think you know disagree with the premise. <laughs> no, no, I totally agree with it. Um, I think the biggest realization that I've had, especially, you know, using load testing software and being an application developer in the past, um, is the concept of throughput, you know, and its relation to uh, hydraulics. (laughs) That's at a very sort of mechanical, sort of physical level. Um, But if you... 
if you're running an application and you don't have the throughput, a load test will help you find that, right? But the load test itself needs to have the throughput in order to generate the load. So it needs to be scalable. Um, so you get to see throughput uh, at its, you know, at its most extreme sort of uh, scale. Uh, think about, you know, a meter diameter pipe going into quarter inch pipe uh, they don't quite fit something's going to blow up somewhere <laughs> um so you know that that's been my biggest realization uh, personally speaking is uh how, the importance of throughput and if throughput isn't you know if users aren't flying through the system and responses aren't coming back in a timely fashion there's definitely a bottleneck somewhere you fix that uh you're not forcing a square peg into a round hole anymore an interesting answer um was it what you were you expecting or <laughs> no and that's that's what i value awesome. out of it awesome. no it's an interesting, interesting question uh so but the you mentioned earlier uh, we were discussing ddos uh, briefly does load testing is that something that you can use to test to see if you're resilient enough to a ddos or is a ddos like a different level of load that you could potentially expect to have under a bad situation Specifically talking about the speciality of DDoS, um, DDoSing in itself has many nuances and uh, um, ways of uh, generating load and um, sort of attacking specific weaknesses. Uh, a load test can be compared to a DDoS and it can be used in DDoS readiness testing, but to a certain extent, right? Um, because there's there's two, well, two main levels of DDoS would be one, you know, the super slow requests, but in extreme amounts of uh, connections being made. Uh, but then in the other extreme, you know, real massive load test coming in when your servers aren't expecting it and you know you want to test what mitigation might be in place to prevent that from happening uh so i think you know um from uh an out of the box uh yes load testing could certainly be used as ddos um but you know i do say it with caution because there are many sort of uh ddos specialists out there that you know then start you know they they They've got a very scientific method of, you know, uh, penetrating and um, uh, taking advantage of certain weaknesses. So, you know, um, I don't think that if you were specifically doing DDoS that you would only settle on a load test. Uh, you would probably want uh, DDoS experts to do that for you. Um, but, you know, we can, you know, a load test could certainly help. In, in determining some of those things, especially, uh, you know, on the, the very simple premise of big load and big stress and huge load uh, or, or huge numbers of users, but super, super slow connections. Yeah, and you're certainly, you're not going to be able to simulate a Mirai botnet DDoS attack uh, from from load testing, but there's I don't think there's any system that can survive a Mirai botnet attack these days. So that's just uh, <laughs> kind of... And that's, no you know, if you were going to do that with a load test, you would need hundreds of different little scripts and, and stuff that, you know, that look at various nuances of how an application oh, can, that's true. can do stuff. So, uh, you know, is the, the effort worth it <laughs> at that point? Yeah. So there are some a lot of applications these days that are 
basically some externally facing API. Like it's an API for third-party services. I think about things like Stripe or Twilio. Um, there's you know maybe the Yelp API, and I'm wondering how you load test these sort of things because it seems like with these APIs there's a wide range of uh, request types, so it might be hard to have a comprehensive understanding of what high load looks like. So, um, how how do you advise people to devise their load tests when they have a very an API with a very broad surface area? Uh, I would focus at that point if there was if if it was very broad, lots of methods that do different things. Um, you know, while A, yes, you could do an A to Z test against all of it, kind of like a smoke test, um, you know, what value are you getting from that um, if, you know, a lot of those methods are simply reading from the database and potentially the same table in the database? Um, so at that point, you know, you would want to touch the major aspects of, you know, the most important functions of what that API does. Um so things like authentication, um, reading from the database, writing to the database, uh, updating the database, and perhaps uh, creating new records. They all have a different you know, uh, impact on the database, but those are the most important aspects. Um, and then any sort of reliance on other systems like Lambda functions, if they're applicable, you know, those would certainly be something to test. But, you know, with a lot of applications these days or APIs, um, you know, there's the, I think a lot of developers have taken it a step further by exposing those APIs via, you know, Android or iOS through another application that they've developed, which utilizes that API. Um, so, you know, it would be looking at the end user scenarios for those or the journeys that the users would take uh, when using those applications as well. All right. Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on to Software Engineering Daily and thank your company, Apica, for being a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. It's been uh, a real pleasure getting to know the company and having you as a sponsor is very helpful. You're most welcome. It's been great. Wow. 